The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. The recent Wall Street winning streak at risk of breaking down stock futures right now in the red. But Piper Sandler is not worried. Out with a new call this morning on a possible Santa rally before the end of the year. A new day, a new way to fight COVID-19 as the FDA greenlights a new remedy that's nearly as effective as a vaccine. The Apple brain drain continues as more key executives exit the company's fledgling self-driving car project. And forget about earnings per share, valuations or full year outlooks. Ever consider making your next investment decision based on your horoscope? You might not be alone. It's Thursday, December 9th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Thursday morning with U.S. stock futures moving to the downside. As you can see right here, the Dow is implied lower by a modest 63 points at this stage. The Nasdaq down by about 35 and the S&P down about 10 handles right now. So again, moves to the downside, but they're still modest in nature at this point in time. This morning's action coming after a relatively muted session on Wall Street that saw the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq and the Russell 2000 small caps extend their daily win streaks to three. That's a huge reversal from last week as the Dow is out now up about three and a half percent since Monday and on pace to snap a four week losing streak for the Dow. But a wild few days for crude as well with WTI U.S. benchmark prices, seventy two dollars and 19 cents. That's off about one quarter of one percent right now. This morning as well, checking apples on what's happening with the bond market, that benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield is hovering just at right around 1.5%. The two-year note yield just about 67 basis points or 0.67% as well. Check out what's going on as well around the global markets. You can see here with cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin prices down 3%, 49,271 the last trade there. Ether in the Ethereum complex down 2%, 43.18, the last trade there. Let's get a check on the early action overseas. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in London with the latest wrap there. Juliana, good morning. Dom, good morning. Well, here in Europe, we're off to a fairly muted start. We have been bouncing around the flat line this morning. Just in the latest um, 10 minutes or so, we have turned slightly more negative. But of course, as you can see, the moves fairly contained. The Italian market seeing some outperformance this morning, up about a third of a percent within that market. Unicredit, the Italian lender, has seen its shares soar this morning. The company out with a capital markets day and investor update, issuing some new profitability targets that markets are cheering. The FTSE 100 currently trading at 
a touch below the flat line last night, the big news out of the UK government um, moving to plan B when it comes to COVID restrictions, reimposing a work from home a recommendation, also mask mandates being extended to most uh, indoor venues and large uh, events, uh, even outdoors. And also COVID passes now going to be implemented for large venues. So as we prepare for the uh, continued spread of the Omicron variant, the UK moving ahead with more restrictions. Um, from a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like this morning. Uh, we've got at the top of the board real estate, telecoms, healthcare, and food and bev. On the downside, we've got oil and gas underperforming down about 1%, retail, insurance, and travel and leisure. So clearly, investors preferring to put a bit more of their money toward the defensive stocks in the market this morning as opposed to the cyclical ones. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you. Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana, good Thursday morning. Hey, good Thursday morning to you, Dom. So in trying to compete with the likes of Tesla, General Motors, and more when it comes to self-driving tech, Apple appears to have a long road ahead. The company reportedly losing three more engineers on the project in recent weeks. And according to Bloomberg, adding to a series of other executive departures earlier this year. The project, which has, which has yet to publicly yield any results for the company, is now seven years old and has been marred by frequent turnover, strategy shifts, and talent poaching. President Biden picking big money political donor and former Hewlett Packard CEO Meg Whitman to be his ambassador to Kenya. Whitman spent decades in high level corporate roles, but she also has been politically active for years. She ran back in 2010 as a Republican for governor in California, but lost to Democrat Jerry Brown and also supported Mitt Romney's runs for president in 2008 before she eventually became John McCain's national campaign co-chair in 2012. Whitman also supported Hillary Clinton's run for president in 2016. Last year, she gave $500,000 to the Biden Victory Fund, a joint fundraising committee that benefited the Biden campaign and the Democratic National Committee. And Chinese property giant Kaisa is reportedly working on restructuring its offshore debt worth $12 billion after missing a bond payment earlier this week. According to Reuters, Kaisa, which is China's largest holder of offshore debt among developers after Evergrande, did not repay $400 million of bonds that matured on Tuesday, triggering cross-default provision on all its offshore bonds and prompting a downgrade to restricted default by Fitch. Dom? All right, Silvana, thank you very much for those headlines. Back to the markets, looking like they may take their foot off the gas pedal following three straight days' worth of gains. Now, with yesterday's gain, the S&P 500 is now less than 1% below, get this, its all-time intraday high that we hit late last month. As our own Mike Santoli points out, the index has been unable to break through the 4,700 mark over the last month. But your next guest says any close above that threshold would validate a record high breakout. Craig Johnson is the chief market technician for Piper Sandler. I wonder, Craig, people watch these levels so closely, but but the the all time highs that we've hit, are they then going to be the benchmark by which you have to gauge whether or not the sell off is now over and done with? Absolutely, Dom. That's a perfect perspective uh, from a 
from a technical vantage point. And when we start breaking out the new highs, it's just going to start to create a new leg higher. In fact, Dom, if you go back and you just look at sort of this upward trending channel you've been seeing for the S&P 500, uh, moving to the upper end of that channel could very easily get you up uh, north of 5,000 on the S&P 500. And Dom, I'd add one more thing in. Short term here, you were talking about uh, sort of a rally into year end. If we look at the price action that we have seen on just the S&P 500 alone uh, over the past several weeks, we got to a pretty oversold condition. In fact, we had more than 20% of all the stocks in the S&P 500 trading below like a 30 RSI rating. And historically, when we've seen that in the past, the market has been higher 1.7% over the next month with a 62% positivity rate. So I think we are going to get a Santa Claus rally into year end. And I don't think it's going to stop there. And I think it's going to carry on into 2022. What's the driving force behind it? Uh, For the better part of maybe a year and a half now, it has been that so-called reopening trade, the economically value-oriented, sensitive type type trades. We're talking airlines, cruise line operators, that sort of thing, versus big cap, mega cap technology and communication services. So if there's going to be that kind of next leg higher, what do you anticipate will be it? Will it, will it be Apple and Microsoft or will it be companies like, you know, Caterpillar or, or say, American Airlines or, or Norwegian? So, Dom, I look at charts all day long, but I got to back up and realize that earnings do drive stocks. And at the end of the day, what's really driving this is the upward trend in earnings revisions, not only for uh, 2021 this year, but also for 2022. And then when you start drilling down further and saying, where is some of the best relative strength inside of this market? Going from where we are in 2021 to where we were in 2020, it was basically 180 degree opposite. It was all about tech uh, in 2020. And this year, it's all about energy. And I think as we move forward into 2022, I suspect your best relative performance in the market is going to come from the energy sector, financials, and I think you're going to see a rebound in tech, specifically the large cap tech, Dom. You know, the Apples of the world, the NVIDIAs, the Microsofts, they're doing great. They're on the charts, and they're going to continue, I think, to to trend higher in here. And don't forget about Alphabet. Despite some, you know, near-term interruptions with some of their service, the trend on that stock has been fantastic. It doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. So, so I mean, you watch the charts, you pay attention to some of the fundamentals. I wonder from a macro perspective, how concerned are you, perhaps others, other experts out there, traders and investors in general, about ongoing monetary policy concerns? Is the Fed going to be the biggest variable right now? We heard Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon say that it's going to be Fed concerns, monetary policy and fiscal concerns that kind of outweigh everything else in the market with regard to COVID. So I think you're spot on correct with that. It's not really about COVID in here right now. And the sell-off that we had seen, a little 5% drawdown that we've seen, was really due to sort of a changing in expectations for the Fed in terms of their tapering. And I think what we have to put this market into an analogy is simply this. This is like an airplane about taking off. All of last year coming out of the pandemic was basically full throttle ahead with the fiscal policy, the monetary policy. But now that we've kind of gained altitude in here with the economy, we're going to be seeing those sort of engines backed off a little bit in here. And that doesn't mean that the plane is going to lose altitude. You're still going to gain altitude and the economy is still going to grow. You may not have a a five plus percent GDP growth rate, maybe you're a 3.8, but that's still pretty good. 
And the sort of correction we'd seen in this market, Dom, was really about sort of resetting expectations for some of those high multiple growth stocks out there. And I think going forward into 2022, I still think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for the tech names. And after this little valuation reset, again, I think we're going to start another leg higher. And there is so much negativity out there, Dom, at this point in time. And it's all about watching the Fed. And that negativity is just too high. And we're just continuing to climb that proverbial wall of worry. It was also so interesting to see over the course of the last couple of weeks of the volatility that Apple appeared to be a safety trade at some point, Craig. Anyway, thank you very much. And thank you very much, Craig Johnson, for that. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show this morning's big money movers, including why shares of Rent the Runway are facing some steep pressure in the pre-market. They're down about 10 percent right now. Plus, it's perhaps the biggest rollback of the return to office plans yet. What Lyft is telling its employees. But first, you've heard of Elon Musk's boring company. But what about another tunneling startup looking to revolutionize America's power grid? Very busy hours still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, your key stock stories of the morning. First up, we've got GameStop. Those shares are falling after the company reported losses widened during the third quarter to $105 million from just under $19 million the same time last year. Total revenues ticking up during the same time to $1.3 billion. The company said its sales grew as it expanded relationships with brands including Samsung, LG, and Vizio. Second up, you've got Lucid Group. Shares are also on the decline after the electric vehicle maker announced a proposed convertible senior notes offering worth more than $1.7 billion. The company says it would use the proceeds to fund or refinance new or existing investments. Those shares down about 5% pre-market. And then third, Rent the Runway. Its shares also falling after it posted a wider-than-expected loss during the third quarter, nearly doubling from a year ago to just under $88 million. The results marked the company's first since its IPO back in late October. It added that active subscribers were up about 78% year-on-year, but remain below pre-pandemic levels. By the way, CEO Jennifer Hyman will have more on those results in a first on CNBC interview coming up on Squawk Box later on this morning, 7.45 a.m. Eastern Time. And our fourth stock is RH. 
The retailer's shares jumping after beating on the top end bottom lines with its third quarter results. The company, formerly known as Restoration Hardware, also raising its 2021 revenue growth outlook now in line with analyst estimates. By the way, those shares you can see up about 12 percent in the pre-market trade. Well, still on deck for the show, your top trending stories, including Applebee's cheesy take on chicken wings and an investment strategy that leaves your 401k's fate up to the stars. Today's big number, 7.3%. That's the personal savings rate in the U.S. as of October, according to data from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. That's down from its peak of over 33% in April 2020. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. A live shot in Times Square. Things just getting going over there, and Squawk Box kicks off in just about 40 minutes or so. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, though. You've likely heard of Elon Musk's boring company, one that's digging miles-long tunnels underneath cities to help ease traffic congestion and change the face of urban transportation. Now there's another boring company, but this one is looking at ways to shore up and expand America's wired infrastructure, everything from power grids to fiber-optic cables and lines. Petra is developing new tunneling technology that can more efficiently bore through the hardest of rocks and landscapes on Earth at a fraction of the cost of traditional methods. And with some $130 billion earmarked for power and broadband grid upgrades in that recently signed bipartisan infrastructure law, the timing might just be right. Joining me now is Petra co-founder and CEO Kim Abrams. Kim, good morning to you. Thank you for bringing us us this story. I I wonder, all of those things I just listed out sound too good to be true. What exactly does Petra do and what kind of technology are we talking about that can dig tunnels so effectively? Thank you so much. Um, And good morning. I'm here to talk about our company, Petra, um, and our technology that's solving one of the biggest problems in infrastructure today, um, which is how to bury utilities underground cost effectively. You know, and, and to that end, what we've developed is, is pretty incredible. It's, it's the first tunneling robot capable of boring utility-sized tunnels through the most difficult geologies on Earth. And this just simply was not possible before. Um, and you, you might know this, but being able to bore 
utility tunnels through hard rock is the first step in helping utilities bury their infrastructure at scale. Um, and what we've developed is really the first new tunneling method in generations. Um, and I'm just very excited to to launch the company today to tell you more about it. So, so Kim, so we're, we're watching video right now. That's what viewers are seeing. And from listeners on SiriusXM, what, what, what we're showing you is something that looks almost like a laser beam slash steam slash I don't know what it is. What exactly is the technology? What does it do? How do you bore through rock the way that we're seeing right now? Yeah, so... Um, Great question. Well, what we've developed is a non-contact tunneling robot that excavates 18 to 60 inch diameter tunnels without touching the geology in front of it. It actually looks like magic. Um, It uses a mixture of heat and high pressure to excavate rock. Um, And it's a a robot. It's remotely steered from hundreds of feet away. Um, You know, it uses a mixture of our proprietary hardware and software to control the robot. Um, to control its power, to control its temperature inputs, and to vary the diameter that we bore. Um, so it's all software defined. Now, now it says, we're, we're, you're, Kim, you, you, we're, we're showing, it says non-contact thermal drilling. This yeah. is different than the technology that, that we've come to know as fracking, right? Hydraulic fracturing, which is how oil and gas companies kind of dig through shale rock formations. Yes, yes, it's, it's different. It, it represents a completely new way to excavate rock. You know, we're um, and I'm actually very proud to announce that we just completed a 20-foot-long, 24-inch diameter uh, demonstration tunnel in the hardest rock on Earth, Sukhortite. Um, it's harder than bluestone granite. Uh, it's the type of rock that has to be dynamited in order to excavate. Um, our, our team is incredibly proud of this accomplishment, and it means that we can now uh, service uh, markets that have previously not been able to be serviced. So think um, uh, under, uh, underneath the existing maze of infrastructure in cities, uh, in wildfire-prone mountainous areas like the Sierra Nevadas, uh, the Cascades, the Rocky Mountains. Um, we now can service these markets in underground utilities where they haven't been able to underground before. And Kim, before we let you go, I had mentioned in the introduction to you about this timing being right, given the infrastructure package being passed by Congress or having been passed by Congress. How big of a beneficiary could you be in that in that whole process? Yeah, I mean, let me start by saying that utilities and governments already spend hundreds of billions of dollars on utility on utility infrastructure annually. Um, Utility infrastructure is already a very big market. Biden's infrastructure bill will be allocating even more money to modernizing our infrastructure and incentivizing us to make it more resilient. I mean, we're going to see tens of billions of additional incentives to improve our water, sewage, wastewater, and obviously our power infrastructure as well. And if we really want to build back better, then we have to underground much of this infrastructure. It's the only way to make it resilient. All right. A, a huge move there. Kim, uh, thank you very much for bringing us that story on Petro. We hope you'll come back and update us on your progress as well. Thank you so much. All right. Th- uh, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines right now. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning. A legal showdown this morning over the Capitol riot investigation. Former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows is now suing Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the January 6th committee investigating the Capitol riot in hopes of blocking the committee's subpoenas. It claims lawmakers have no legal authority to demand testimony. He had previously agreed to cooperate and had turned over thousands of pages of documents. The lawsuit came hours after the committee began moving forward with a criminal contempt case against Meadows. 
The list of countries announcing diplomatic boycotts of the Olympics is growing. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Canada would not send representatives to Beijing for the Games, tweeting that Canada is deeply disturbed by reports of China's human rights violations. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson also announced diplomatic British diplomats would, would not be attending the Games following the U.S. and Australia's announcements earlier this week. New Zealand said it would not send officials due to COVID. Meanwhile, a pair of American Olympians are taking a victory lap after being named Sports Illustrated's Athletes of the Year. Gymnast Suni Lee rose to prominence in Tokyo, capturing the gold medal in the women's all-around competition. The 18-year-old also won a silver in the team's gymnastics competition and a bronze on the uneven bars. And record-breaking swimmer Caleb Dressel glided through the pool en route to five gold medals, including three in individual races. Congrats to those athletes as we look ahead past the end of 2021 now, Don, looking at 2022 and the Olympic Games. Absolutely. A big, big event coming up for sure. Francis Rivera, thank you very much for that. Still on deck for the show, Lyft giving the green light for its employees to continue working from home. Parking plans to get them back in the office, at least in the short term. We'll be right back after this. Markets not looking like they'll make it four in a row, with futures suggesting a pullback may be on tap with the S&P within striking distance of a fresh record high. AstraZeneca getting the OK for its COVID antibody treatment as drug makers pitch boosters in the new fight against Omicron. The CEO of one of New Jersey's hospitals lays out what it all means in the fight against the pandemic. And Google revealing its top searches for 2021 and the pronunciation of one doggone crypto taking home the top honors. It's Thursday, December 9th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how stock futures are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Dow futures taking a leg lower in just the past half hour or so. We are now implied lower by roughly 120 points. That's about double the downside move that we saw just about a half an hour ago when we started this show. The S&P is implied lower by roughly 17 points. Now, the Dow Jones futures, you can kind of see here, just in the course of the last hour, half hour, have kind of taken that second leg lower through this kind of overnight session for Dow futures. So we'll keep an eye on those. Markets in Europe are seeing a similar type of move. You can see right now the German DAX is off by about one quarter of one percent. The FTSE 100 in the U.K. down about about two tenths of one percent. Meanwhile, we got a little bit of outperformance, a speck of green, about one tenth percent gains for the FTSE MIB in Italy as well. So keep an eye on those modest moves. Now to some of your morning's top stories, including another major company apparently extending its work from home policy. Silvana Hinao is back with those details. Silvana. Hey, Tom, yeah, so maybe some good news for, the, for them. Lyft is reportedly telling employees they don't need to return to offices until at least 2023 at the earliest. This, according to Bloomberg and the Financial Times. The reports say that rideshare company will keep its plan to reopen its offices in February for those who are willing and able to come back in place. The reports add that Lyft doesn't plan to go fully remote indefinitely, as others, including Twitter, have decided to do so. 
Turning to Washington, the Senate voting to overturn President Biden's COVID vaccine and testing mandate for private businesses with more than 100 employees. Democratic Senators John Tester and Joe Manchin joining all 50 of the chamber's Republicans in voting to repeal the requirement. Despite the approval, the measure likely won't become law due to the slim chances of clearing the House and President Biden most likely vetoing the bill if it were to clear Congress. And the FDA giving emergency use authorization to AstraZeneca's COVID antibody treatment. The therapy helps prevent infections in people with weak immune systems or a history of severe side effects from COVID vaccines. While a large clinical trial for the cocktail showed a roughly 83% effectiveness at preventing the virus, it's unclear how the Omicron variant might affect efficacy. Dom? Still a lot of unknowns about Omicron. Yeah, Silvana exactly. Hinao, thank you very much you for that. That AstraZeneca news coming on the heels of news from Pfizer yesterday, which said that a third dose of its vaccine is effective at fighting the Omicron variant. However, the CEO, Albert Borla, adding that a fourth dose of the vaccine may be needed sooner than expected. This as cases are rising across the U.S. as the Omicron variant has been detected in at least now 21 states while the Delta variant is still impacting hospitals as well. Let's bring in Dr. Sharif El-Nahal, president and CEO of University Hospital Newark. Uh, uh, Dr. El-Nahal, thank you very much again for joining us. I, I-, I wonder if we talk about the issues around Omicron, should we be as fearful right now about Omicron as we were about previous variants, including Delta? Uh, Thanks so much for having me. So uh, there's definitely still cause for concern, although recent news in the last couple of days have made us a little bit more optimistic. So I'll go into reasons why to be concerned first. Uh, We have a virus that's spreading extremely fast throughout South Africa and now Europe, and we don't even know the extent of spread yet in the United States. We know that it's in over 17 states at this point, and that list keeps growing. And so even if you have a virus that's less severe, it may end up still impacting hospital capacity uh, when more vulnerable older people get it. Remember that the first case of COVID was in early January 2020. The first death wasn't documented in the U.S. until late February of 2020. And so we really have to, and I'm sorry, across the world, not not the United States. And so this is really important because uh, we don't know exactly what the relative impact will be of severity versus spread. However, it's very encouraging that yesterday Pfizer showed us that uh, three doses of their vaccine does multiply antibodies that are specific to Omicron. So that leads us to believe we should absolutely boost. And at least so far, it does appear that it may be less severe than previous variants. So it's all about a balance of these factors. All right. So, so I mean, the, the, the caveats, uh, let's stipulate to the caveats. It's very early on. We, we all know that we, this, there's not a lot of data information available on Omicron, but that the indications right now are that they're possibly less severe. You, you mentioned hospital capacity. Is there really a threat that we could be overrun hospital-wise, even though there's a large segment of this population already vaccinated, despite the fact that there is still ongoing concern about those who are unvaccinated? I think the probability of that is still low, especially in areas that are highly vaccinated, like the New York metro area, uh, New Jersey, where we are. However, it's really impossible to rule it out at this point because we just don't know the propensity of this virus to spread. Remember that the spread of the virus is actually the number one indicator on whether you'll have hospital admissions and whether you'll have deaths. Uh, And without knowing how this virus impacts, for example, uh, older, more frail folks, especially in nursing homes, 
uh, we won't know exactly what it will do to hospital capacity. However, we're much better at this now than we were in the spring of 2020. We have surge plans, we have therapeutics on the horizon, and we just have a more immunized population at baseline to COVID-19 viruses, all of which should help. I mean, again, before we let you go, that there, there's also a, a, a feeling out there that, and maybe some evidence to support it as well, that the COVID is going to be something that we kind of deal with or have to live with, so to speak, on a regular basis, much like the common cold or the flu. Is that your sense? I mean, is this going to be something where I get a shot every year because I just want to kind of keep the flu at bay, just like I want to keep COVID at bay? That may very well be the case. In fact, that's been how pandemics and epidemics have ended uh, almost universally in the past. You end up getting a virus that uh, ends up being less severe, may spread through communities and populations. Uh, but with the advent of vaccines, which we already have, and therapeutics, we essentially learn to live with it. It will cause some morbidity every year, but it certainly wouldn't fill our hospitals and it certainly wouldn't be cause for uh, public health emergencies on a sustainable basis. The idea is that we can control it and that we have the tools as a healthcare system to deal with it. Dr. Sharif El-Nahal of University Hospital Newark, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Coming up on the show, the Big Apple's rental market continuing to bounce back in a very big way. The Signal's new New York real estate picture may be sending about the broader economic recovery if there are can be signals about such a thing. We're what exchange returns after this. There might be some apartments for rent right there in New York City as you're looking at the skyline as the light tries to come over in the next hour or so. So rental prices in New York City are continuing to surge, bouncing back and by some metrics actually surpassing pre-pandemic levels, if you can believe that. According to the most recent report from Douglas Elliman and Miller Samuel, the net effective rent in Manhattan rose 16.7 percent year on year in November that's the second straight month, by the way, that median rents have risen at a record annual rate. Joining us now for a look at the data and the rental market is Scott Durkin, the CEO of Douglas Elliman. I, this is so I want to say, you know, in hindsight, it was so easy to call it. But e- even back then, you had to figure that Manhattan real estate was going to bounce back. Are you surprised at all at just how quickly it's done so? I think we we are surprised. But then again, when you look at the numbers, last year at this time, we had over 75,000 rentals. And I believe today it's just shy of 31,000. So that's a lot in one year. So, yes, we're, we're in many ways shocked. And, and then we've been too busy to even think about it. So if that's the case, what exactly then is driving it if we've still got so many fears about being in urban settings, return to work plans being shelved by a number of different companies in other parts of the country. Is there anything that really is serving to at least cool off that rental market in any way, shape or form, Scott? Well, I think what we've seen is we've seen the job market come back uh, with with quite force, with a big force. And, and people are now getting more money, so they're able to spend more on rent. So we didn't expect that to happen. So we've seen on the higher end, the two-bedroom and larger inventory 
really get absorbed because people are back. They're making, in some cases, 20 to 25% more in their salary. So they're able to afford more rent. So the new job market and also the new way of having a job is, is now working partly at home and partly in the office. And so the new work home life balance has really changed things. And we saw that the studio market was suffering from this because people are able to spend more and they need that extra bedroom for the home office. So, so I, I wonder as well, how much can you extract? I mean, New York is a very, you know, every, every real estate market is unique. Every location is unique in its own way. But, but how much can you extrapolate the stuff that you are seeing in New York City's rental market to, to other parts of the country, if at all? I, I, what, what does it tell you about maybe the economic narrative that's being kind of woven through America right now? Well, I think if you're peeling back the onion, you're noticing that the rental market is so strong because we have a severe inventory shortage across all of the markets we serve at Douglas Elliman, which would be about nine major markets in the luxury sector. So we're seeing that uh, the inventory shortage has really pushed up the need for rentals. And in many cases, the, the luxury rentals, so anything north of ten dollars or $15,000, has increased almost 30%. And some people are taking these sight unseen in all of our luxury markets. Is there a fear, Scott, that New York was already a, a place that was tough to afford to live in? Is there a fear that this just really exacerbates that situation and, and forces a lot of folks maybe out of the urban setting? I don't think it's a fear because, remember, salaries have gone up considerably. So that's allowed people to, to not feel the pinch and, and feel the extra rent. Um, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a bad effect. So I, I think we're seeing that New York is still cheaper to live in than San Francisco and in some cases Los Angeles. So it, it, it really, it hasn't, it's not going to, there's no ripple effect here on, on what we're seeing in New York. All right. Scott Durkin at Douglas Elliman. Thank you very much for those insights. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Now to this morning's top trending stories, which include some global search trends using star signs to influence money habits and some very messy chicken wings. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana, I can't wait to hear about these. <laughs> All right, Dom. So let's start with Google because it's re- it has released its top trends in search for the year. Some of the highlights in the U.S. include TikTok pasta as the most searched food term and both Dogecoin and Elon Musk's son making the top five in how to pronounce searches. Globally, AMC stock, Dogecoin and GME all making the top five in new search. And if you've been looking for a way to make your chicken wings even messier, you're in luck because Applebee's is announcing a new Cheetos-inspired menu that includes boneless wings covered in regular or flaming hot Cheetos dust. The full menu is available on the online-only restaurant that Applebee's recently launched, but the boneless wings will also be available in restaurants next week. Applebee's saying the promotion is a way to get younger customers in the stores and get more attention on its virtual wings brand. And LendingTree releasing new data on how horoscopes impact Americans' financial decisions. According to the survey, almost 20% of Americans have made a financial decision based on their horoscope. Millennials were the most likely generation to do so, followed by Gen Z. Americans also believe that Capricorns are the best with money and Geminis are the worst, while Sagittariuses had the lowest average credit scores in the survey. Dom? <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of this. 
because yeah. I, I fall into one of those categories <laughs> and I, I don't believe that I'm necessarily indicative of those things. I mean, have you have you done it, Silvana? Have you kind of made a financial decision no. or, or, or something based upon what no. you saw in the horoscope? Absolutely not. <laughs> you haven't. I, I, no. I, I will say this. I, I think that there are times where it, ha- it has influenced maybe some of my decision-making process, but it's not like a horoscope tells me to go do this or invest right. in a stock or whatever it is. Exactly. And you just go and do it, right? right. Do you still read your horoscopes? You know... <laughs> Honestly, Dom, I think the last time I read it was like over the summer. So I, 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 I think I avoid it because I feel like maybe sometimes it might make me a little like anxious reading it because I don't know what it's going to say to me. So I, maybe I just stay away from that. In my early days working at CNBC, I remember I used to look at the New York Daily News horoscopes yes, and the New York Post horoscopes. Yes, you used to read all of our horoscopes. Yes. I remember that in the mornings, of course. It was a fun way to kind of get my, <laughs> get my, get my voice going, at least in the morning. All right, Silvana, thank you very much for that. We you got it, Dom. On deck for the show, the market's rebound appearing to take a bit of a breather right now after three days' worth of gains. Ally Invest's Lindsay Bell lays out why she says it may be too soon to say the Christmas rally is back. And our Jim Cramer is hosting a very special event for the CNBC Investing Club. Jim is going to share his outlook for 2022 and answer member questions. That's going to happen today at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to cnbc.com slash investing club slash live to take part or just use your phone to scan the QR code on your screen. Jim Cramer's Investing Club. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's give this conversation back to the markets and dive into some of the big trends we are seeing. Now, for the better part of 2021, or at least a good portion of it, you saw small cap stocks outperform some of the mega cap technology names that we've come to know and be familiar with. The Russell 2000 ETF is the orange line. As you can kind of see here, kind of the first half plus of this year, that orange line has been above the white line, which is the QQQ Trust it tracks the NASDAQ 100, the big stocks in there. But look at this. Just since like, the late summer, that white line has really started to outperform and has gotten markedly so, more so here in just the last couple of months. So is that a trend that plays out? Is mega cap technology back again? Let's now turn to what's happening with some of that driving trade. Apple, Microsoft, Google parent company Alphabet. You can see over the last three months, Apple and Microsoft specifically have been massive movers in this particular trade. A lot of folks going into those names, some for different reasons, some as a possible safety trade and some others saying, you know what, it's been the thing that's worked over the better part of the last decade plus. Maybe that's going to be the existing trend that's going to stay in place. So watch those mega cap tech names. And in a new note out this morning, Morgan Stanley is naming Apple a top pick for next year, saying that while hardware stocks should underperform in 2022 as multiples derate, margins compress and EPS revisions peak, it prefers stocks with more recurring revenue and secular growth, with Apple being its favorite large cap pick. And even more on Apple, based on the most recent share count, by the way, Apple will hit a possible hypothetical $3 trillion valuation when the stock price hits around $182.86 or so. That's going to be a level to watch. Let's dive into the broader market story as well with Lindsay Bell, chief market strategist and money strategist over at Ally Invest. She's also a CNBC contributor. Lindsay, I got to know, I got to find out from you whether or not you think that that large cap tech trade, which has worked pretty much since the depths of the great financial crisis, is the one that keeps working in the next five to 10 years? You know, 
I think at least near term, maybe a little shorter than five to 10 years, it's probably got some legs in it for the exact reasons that the Morgan Stanley analysts outlined there. Um, they're high quality names. They've got recurring revenue. We know what's coming down the pipeline with these guys. They're less risky. So I think having a basket of these as part of your portfolio makes a heck of a lot of sense over the next several years, especially as we go through a period where the economic environment is normalizing, Fed policy is normalizing, there's going to be less stimulus. All those things really do bode well for that type of uh, trade. Does this mean that finally, after about 11 years, I guess, or so now, that, 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 that bonds are going to underperform? I mean, is that, is that what this is indicating right now, this, this whole market? Yeah, I mean, I I think when you look at what the next year brings for us, I I think you've got a better opportunity with equities, actually. I know the market is very, very nervous about the Fed liftoff, um, moving from a very easy monetary policy to becoming more hawkish. But the reality is when you look at what the market is pricing in, the market's pricing in that interest rates top out at one and a half the Fed funds rates, I should say, top out at one and a half percent. That's a pretty low rate by historical standards. And that compares to a two and a half percent peak in the prior Fed tightening cycle. So we're getting lower and lower on interest rates. And because of that, while interest rates are rising, they're still going to remain very low, which bodes well for equity. So I think equities are going to continue to do well in the years ahead, even if growth does slow in, in 2022 and 2023. So, so we, had, we had talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about this notion that it's a, a, a two-pronged kind of threat, right? It was the Omicron economic threat, and then it was the threat of rising interest rates that really kind of added to the market volatility. In your mind, is that over are we are we now done with those fears and, 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 and can become more constructive on the markets overall? Well, I think we're moving past the Omicron fear, right? Um, we feel like we've got a, a better grip on what the impact, the economic impact of that's going to be. We've got ways to combat, combat the virus um, coming out and hopefully moving past this health crisis in the new year. But I do think inflation is still on investors' minds, and we're going to get another reading on that tomorrow with the CPI. So because that is really driving what Fed policy is going to do in the near term. And investors are still uncertain what, what Chair Powell's shift to becoming more hawkish with his tone is really going to mean from, from an action and policy perspective. Um, we know the tapering is going to happen a little faster, but when does liftoff take? I would, I would say to investors, look, what you really need to focus on is the speed at which interest rates um, increase, not necessarily when kickoff happens. It's likely going to happen next year. But if it happens in a measured and steady tone, the market can continue to do well. In fact, we look back at history six months prior to Fed liftoff and six months after the market does really well. On average, you've seen a 9.3 percent increase in the S&P 500 over those periods. Lindsay, I, you work for Ally Invest. It's pr- probably one of the most well-known consumer banks out there. You're, you're the chief money strategist. I, I got to call your attention to the story because it still strikes me. We just told people that almost 20 percent of Americans have made a financial decision based on their horoscope. If you take a look at that, do you fear, do you make decisions based on your horoscope? Have you made them before, Lindsay? I'm just curious. You're the person who would, you know, kind of guide us one way or the other, right? I I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'll give you my, my thoughts. You know, I'm not really surprised to see that people are looking to horoscopes for money advice. Um, it's, it's a little unsettling to me personally, given that I work in the field. But uh, I'm not really surprised given how curious people have become about investing, about their money. They really want to become more proactive in taking uh, control of that aspect of their life. So I'm not surprised. I haven't personally made any money decisions uh, based on my horoscope. I do enjoy reading horoscopes. I think they're fun. Um, I wouldn't recommend anyone else make money decisions based on their horoscope. But what I did like about that survey is they're more likely to make positive decisions like saving and less likely to make um, big bigger decisions like investing or career changes off of their horoscope. So that was a positive, I guess. All right, Lindsay, it's always nice to have your thoughts on whether or not we should be using horoscopes more proactively or less proactively in some of our financial decisions. Thank you very much. Great to get your thoughts. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. The markets right now are showing some signs of decline. We'll see if that keeps up. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.